You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning. I'm going to share God's word just for a few minutes. I'm watching my time and we're going to try and get ourselves all well and truly done and dusted before the hour is out. I want to look this morning. The message this morning is simply called a simple plan. That's all it is. It's just a simple plan. I want to look this morning at a man who had a simple plan, uh, and yet the simple plan was not the right plan. And I want to look at our own lives and see how is it that we can take God's simple plan and apply it in our own lives so that we could be blessed, so that we might make the best return on our lives. You will know that I've been talking the last couple of times about the risk of faith and last Sunday I was talking about shrewd faith where we looked at the story of the shrewd or the uh, dishonest servant and about how Jesus commended him for his focus and his attention on the real purpose. He was really shrewd in his plans and his preparations for the future. I want to look this morning now at another different guy. I want to look at a story that Jesus tells and it's in Luke's Gospel chapter 12 and it's the story of a guy who really did have a simple plan and when you look at this story you begin to wonder what is it that's going on here sometimes this story is referred to as the parable of the rich fool but when you look at it you kind of go why was he why was he a fool and let's try and put ourselves in the position of jesus first listeners the people who were the immediate listeners to the stories that jesus told and maybe we can learn something from it this morning may god bless us as we listen to his word this morning, as we read his word, may God use me, may I be a channel, may I bring a prophetic word, a living word to you this morning. I would appreciate your prayers and I'd appreciate an amen every now and again up on the screen. You see, I love a crowd when, when I'm speaking. I like to connect with people if I can, or if I can't, I can. But anyway, if you want to give us an amen every now and again, may God bless us as we read his word this morning. A man with a simple plan. This is what Jesus said. Jesus told him this parable. He said, the ground of a certain rich man produced an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now imagine you're listening. You're one of the first listeners to Jesus' story. And you listen to the story and you hear about how the land of a rich man produced an abundant crop. Immediately begin to think, yeah, that's what I want for my life. That's what I want for my life in every sense of the word. And I'm sure it's probably what you want for your life. That you will produce an abundant crop. If you are tuning in, if you've jumped across, I'm sorry, for some reason our Instagram has just stopped. The connection to the network is not working for some bizarre reason. So our apologies for that. We're doing our best. Technical issues, as they say, in the various media organizations. We're having a technical issue. Anyway, the ground is certain land produced a rich crop. And the thing about it is, Jesus refers to the ground of the rich man. You know, sometimes there's good soil and there's bad soil, fertile soil and infertile soil. Where I grew up, I grew up in Banfihan in Cork City here. And we grew up in an area that was the former market gardening area of the city, where the vegetables and fruit for the city that was sold in the city centre were actually grown. And we had this beautiful black earth in our soil, in our gardens when we grew up. And I remember growing vegetables, I remember growing carrots and onions and celery and lettuce and tomatoes and of course potatoes. You can't have an Irish garden, you can't plant unless you're growing potatoes in Ireland. We had potatoes growing, we had all sorts growing because the soil was so good. But where I live now, there is 
no good soil. Where I live now, the soil isn't so great. I wouldn't produce nearly as good a crop. And the idea here that's being framed is that it's not this man's work necessarily, but the fact that he's got himself a nice patch of land that produces a good harvest. Jesus says, and he has a problem, he says, what am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops. To those who are listening to this, this guy's got a big, pleasant problem on his hands. It's not a bad problem, it's a good problem. That's what he's got. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. Again, what a great problem. I have so much stuff, I have to tear down my barns and then I have to store away my grain. The people listening to this would have thought that this man was living the dream. And his plan was a simple plan. The simple plan was to accept the abundant harvest and store it all away. It's what any farmer in his right mind would do. Then Jesus says, and then I say to myself, you have plenty of grain and goods laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Have a great time. You're sorted. He's fixed. He's sorted financially. Now, if you were one of Jesus' listeners, you were a subsistence, uh, you lived a subsistence existence. Very often, just day to day. Very few people would have anything like financial capital or savings. Most people just lived day to day, a hand to mouth existence. And the, the growth or the failure of a crop could mean ruin or blessing for them. And then he says, I've got so much stuff, you so much laid up, all your goods, all your grain. Take it easy. Take it easy. Be, eat, drink, be merry, enjoy the work of your hands. And that is a simple plan. And it's a reasonable plan. And it's a rational plan. And anybody listening to that plan will go, exactly. I mean, all the rich men in the Old Testament, like Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and all these people, they were all very wealthy people and they were blessed by God. So to anybody who listened to this, they go, yeah, well, this guy was obviously blessed by God. The blessings on the land was part of the blessings to the nation of Israel. I'm going to relax. I've got a simple plan. Harvest. Store, save, live it up. But then something strange happens. The voice of God cuts through to his situation. And you probably know these verses. But God said to him, You fool! You fool! This very night your life will demand it from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He ran out of time. The last moment he runs out of time. Just after putting all the work and all the planning and all the execution into it, he ends up running out of time. And God says to him, you fool. You fool. Remember Jesus had warned us not to call a brother a fool. So what was it that he said here? That the fool, he called him. Aram, he called him. You fool, this is what you are. Why did you make that mistake? Because no, you've run out of time. You've had plenty in your life, but you've run out of time. And this is what Jesus said. He said, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God or doesn't have a rich relationship with God or does not uh, honor God with their wealth. There's various different translations into the English of this phrase. We like this one, but is not rich towards God. No, it was the guy who was storing up for himself. And the reason he was called a fool, he wasn't a fool because he was wealthy or because he was wise or because he was storing up for the future day. He wasn't a fool because he was making plans for his life. The Bible tells us to do all of those things. Why was he a fool? He was a fool because he was a practical atheist. In every sense of the word, he made his plans without any consideration for God or any consideration for his relationship with God. That's why he was a fool. And so those listening to that story who would have been seriously impressed by this man's ability 
would have gone, oh wow, I can't really like, I can't, I can't, I can't imagine why would he be called a fool even though he's acted so wisely. He ran out of time and he didn't make plans with his life. He didn't make plans with his life to honour God with the things that God had given him. You see, in our lives, we have choices. We have choices that we have to make. And one of the choices that we have is whether we would save or we would spend. I referenced this last week very briefly in shrewd faith. Or in, in shrewd faith, yes. I was talking about spending or saving. You see, everything that's in our life, we have a choice. We can spend it or we can save it. And very often we save things that we should spend. And we spend things that we should save. And I want to look at the three effective components of our lives that, is, that makes up our life or makes up the wholeness of our life. And I want to look at them in light of this parable and in light of our own lives. The first of all is this one, is talent, is ability. You see, the start of the story, Jesus said, the land of a certain man produced a great crop. Interestingly, he doesn't say that the work of a great man or a certain man produced a great crop. He said it was the land. And that land speaks to what is naturally in us, what, what just is part of who we are. It is the gift, if you will, that God has given us the abilities that we have. And every one of us has an ability, whatever that ability is. Or we have many abilities, and we have skills and abilities. And this man, his talent, if you will, was his land. It speaks of the land. It speaks of something he did not create. He didn't set out to work. No, he had to use his talent. But it speaks effectively of the giftedness of the talented nature that is in all of us, and all of it which is expressive of God's creative ability at work in us. I like what this guy said, Sugar Ray Leonard is a very famous boxer, he was a five, five different divisions, weight divisions, uh, world champion, a fantastic boxer, would have been around when I was maybe in my teens, uh, still, still, still flying along, he's not fighting anymore. But he said this about talent, I love what he said, what he said, I consider myself blessed, I consider you blessed. He says, we've all been blessed with God given talents. And he finishes it off by saying, mine just happens to be beating people up. He was able to beat people up. That was the talent that he had. He was a gifted boxer and his talent was beating people up. I was looking at um, Katie Taylor who won another, yet another bunch of world titles and defended her four world titles recently. And it's just amazing. Here are all these Christians shouting for Katie Taylor and she's beating the living daylights out of someone. But that's her talent. That's a skill that she has. It's an ability that she has and she uses it to serve and to honour God, what's your talent? I hope it's not beating people up. Now, I know there are some people in the church who might have that ability, but I'm suggesting that you shouldn't use that ability. Certainly not without Marcus of Queensbury rules, that's for sure. But every one of us has a talent. The boxer to the butcher, everybody has a talent of some form. And we need to spend that talent and not just save it. This is what Paul writes. He writes this to the, uh, sorry, Peter writes it, my apologies. Each of us have been given a gift from God's, God's great variety of spiritual gifts, he says, use them well as good stewards of God's grace to serve one another. I know he says each one of you have been given a, it's a gift. You've been given a gift, whether that's a spiritual gift or a natural gift. Each one of us is gifted in certain ways. I like what Einstein said. He said, everyone is a genius, but if you judge a fish by the way he climbs a tree, you would think that he was a complete fool. Every one of us is gifted. And he says, use them well as good stewards of God's grace. It's a gift to you and you're stewarding it and using it. Spending your talent to bless others, to serve others. Are you doing that? That is how you spend your talent. To serve others, to bless others. See, you can save up 
your talent and have your talent only serve you. Everybody knows the story of the songwriter who wrote amazing songs but nobody heard them, or the poet who wrote amazing poetry but never heard them, or the painter who painted amazing landscapes but nobody ever got to saw them because they saved their talent and they were insecure, they were frightened. A bit like the guy we looked at just a few weeks ago, the, the servant who hid his talent in the ground. We, we're, we're called upon to spend or to use the talents, and if we don't, we may lose them. It's one of the rules or one of the principles of giving. Here's what Jesus said. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. He goes on to say, but from those who do nothing, even the little they have will be taken away. That's what he says. Even, though, even the little that they have will be taken away. And here we see the law of use. At work, it's a little bit literally like your muscles. If you sit down for six months and don't use your muscles, they will begin to fade. I remember specifically, you know, a story that's illustrated of this. My father and my dad got a stroke when he was 66 years of age. And as a result of the stroke, he lost the power in the left-hand side of his body. And I remember seeing him, I visited him when he was in hospital and saw him over the following months and even the following couple of years. And slowly but surely, the muscles in his left arm just withered. His right arm was as big as it ever was. And my dad had a very big upper frame. But his left arm just withered because he couldn't use it anymore. You know what? It's an awful shame to see God-given abilities wither through lack of use. There's a universal principle of, of human flourishing, and that is use it or lose it. And he says there, but from those who do nothing, even the little they have will be taken away. Even the little that we think we have could well end up being taken from us. The second thing I want to look at in terms of saving or spending is that of your treasure. Remember, it is your talent that earns your treasure. Now bear with this a second, and I just want to say this is really important. I'm not after your money, okay? I'm not here looking for your money. I just want to look at what the scripture says and what Jesus said. And here he says something really interesting. Let's look at Matthew's gospel. This is what Jesus says. He says, store treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And that's a good news story, and it's a bad news story. It's got both. But I know what Jesus says. Use your earthly treasure to make treasure in heaven. Don't be storing up something that can be taken away or stolen or will decrease in value. Or inflation will eat it. With the moth of inflation can eat it. And then he says here, he says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And you know, that's real for us in relationships as well. Our hearts will be with the people that we love, with the people that we want to be, to be, the people that we want to be with, the people we want to be around. It's a symbol of what we really value. Where is your heart? When, when you let your heart go and you, you let yourself think and freely feel, what is it that your heart is drawn to? And that's where your treasure is. That's a clear indication of your treasure. You know, Jesus said, use your earthly to gain the heavenly. Use the temporal to gain the eternal. And he's not talking about give, 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 spend. Spend. Let it lose its grip over you. Where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And this is what Paul writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He says this. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And going back to the farmer's idea, and the ground that he planted, when he planted the ground, he must plant it richly to get a rich crop back out of it. The simple plan, plant richly, and you will grow richly. Sow richly, and you will reap richly. Sow sparingly, and you'll reap sparingly. What is that about? It's about spending. It's about giving out of your talent 
and of your treasure. It's about the giving. It's about the giving away. Not saving it up just for yourself, but it's for the giving. And it's to be used for others and with others. I like, I like one quote that, came, that, that somebody said to me during the week, that everything we have in our lives was given to us for someone else, which I think is a really powerful and a beautiful thing, whether it's our love and our emotion, our affection, our devotion, our mental abilities, our mental acuity, whatever it is that we have, everything that we've been given was given to us for someone else. I like what St. Francis of Assisi, or not St. Francis of Assisi, my apologies, St. Augustine of Hippo said this. I love this quote. He said, he who is God has everything, everything. And he who has everything but God has nothing. And that's what Jesus was saying about this man's simple plan. He had nothing because he had everything except the one thing he really, really, truly needed. The one thing that would truly last. And that was God himself. He who has, God has everything. Brothers and sisters, if you have only God in your life, you're richer than the richest person on planet Earth. Because your wealth and your riches in God are absolutely stored up. They're absolutely secure. That's what he said. The last thing I want to talk about is this one in terms of spending and saving. Do we spend or do we save? How's about this? Time. The curious thing about time is that time cannot be saved. I grew up in an era when, an era when time-saving devices were becoming more and more. There was more and more time-saving, and they used this term time-saving device. And what I meant was that it would save you time rather than having to wash by hand, you wash the washing machine or whatever it is. Pick your time-saving device. The thing is, you cannot save time. Every moment of your life is ticking by right now. It's ticking by at the same pace for you as it is for the richest man or the most talented person or the poorest person that you know both of your times are ticking by at the same speed. It comes to every one of us at 60 minutes every hour, 24 hours in every day, 365 days in every year. You cannot save it up. It is the one truly unrenewable resource. And that is why time is more valuable than money. You can save money, you can make money again, but you cannot make time. It cannot be made again. And when we look at the story of the, the farmer at the start of this, he had talent, and that talent was in the land. He had treasure, which that talent produced, but then he ran out of time. He ran out of time. His opportunity came and went. And God called to him, God's voice spoke through to him. And when we read those stories, God's voice speaks through to us too. I love what the Song of Moses in Psalm 90 says. He says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we may be wise. Let us realize when he says number our days, oh, that's very morbid, I don't think about the future in that way. But he's saying the wise person sees the end coming and makes preparation. Lies. And it goes by so quickly. We just wished happy birthday to Caelan Curran this morning. 21 years of age. Happy birthday to you again, Caelan. And yet I can remember Caelan being born. He was born only a few months before my own son Robin was born. And that like, just feels like yesterday. Time is going by. What am I doing with my time? How am I spending my time? Am I trying to save my time? Is, it, is my time dedicated only to me or is it there in my life? Forgiving to others. I've quoted this writer before, Annie Diller, and she's an American uh, Christian writer, and she talks about time. And she makes, uh, you would have heard this quote, but I want to finish off the quote because I normally only use one line of it, or I've only used one line of it twice before. This is what she said 
How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. It's not very complicated. What you're doing with your days is what you're doing with your life. Can I ask you, what are you doing with your days? What are you doing with the time God has given you? Some people now have more time than they've ever had. Perhaps, some people maybe not so much. But there is a lot of people talk about having more time in their hands, especially in the current climate. How are you spending your days? Are you investing your days? Are you putting your days into what's useful? What will grow your soul? What will grow your relationships? What will grow your life? Tashishin on Kesh Tavakta. That's the important question. She goes on to say this. She says, what we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. What we're doing with this hour or that one is what we're doing. Now, can I just encourage you? If you are online looking at your church community or looking at the church service, then I think you're doing a pretty good job with this hour. Would anyone out there say amen? Amen. It's a good thing to do with this particular hour. And it'll only be an hour, so you needn't worry too much about it. What you're doing with this hour or that one is what we are doing. So we have to think about our lives and think about our time in a rational and intelligent and in a wise way. She finishes off this particular section with a last piece of quote. This is what she says. She says, the schedule defends us from chaos and whim, and it is a net for catching days. How can you catch your days? How can you save your days from being wasted or being whittled away or being worse still, wished away? Maybe you do a job that you don't really like. Maybe because I know loads of people who do jobs that they really don't like or they're stuck in a rut or they're stuck in a situation. They don't really like it and they're wishing their days away. Brothers and sisters, don't wish a minute of your life away. Don't wish it away. Instead, make the most of it. Make the most of the time that God has given you. Don't let yourself run out of time. Invest your time. Grow your soul. Grow your relationships. Grow your knowledge of God. Grow your knowledge in general. Just grow. Don't wither on the vine. Don't waste your life. Don't let it slip away out of your hands. And for you to get to a point in your life, you say, I've wasted, I've wasted years, or I've wasted decades, or I've wasted days. Catch them. And I like this. A schedule defends us from chaos and women. It's a net for catching days. I read a, a blog piece recently by an American Christian pastor called John Piper. He's a brilliant writer, a fantastic soul, a great, great Christian leader and writer. Uh, and he's, he was talking about prayer. And he, he, it's one of his things. He's always kind of talking about people praying or not praying or choosing to pray or not pray. And he said this. He said, I've read all the research and I, I, I looked deeply into the issue of why it is that Christians don't pray or they don't commune with God as much as they could or as much as they should. And he said, it's really simple. They don't plan for it. It's not in their schedule. It's not on their to-do list. The old saying, what gets scheduled gets done. Have you made room for God in your schedule? Have you made room for serving God in your schedule? Have you made room in your schedule for giving, for spending in the way that you can advance God's kingdom? How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. I like what, I like what um, Paul writes to the Hebrew church, Hebrews chapter 10. He says, this is what he says, he says, and let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially know that the day of his Return is drawing near. The day of Jesus' return is not getting further away. It is getting nearer. And the says, don't neglect our meeting together. You go, Abish, we can't meet together. Oh no, we can meet online. 
At the moment we can meet online. Don't neglect it. Don't let it go down along the list. Don't, don't neglect connecting with people and encouraging one another. Why not send a message to someone this week and encourage them? Why not make a phone call to someone who you know in church or a friend, a Christian friend, and encourage them. Encourage them to get closer to the Lord. And just as saying, put it into your schedule. Plan for it. Plan to encourage people. Otherwise, we can get taken up with the minute by minute, hour by hour problems and distractions and busyness of our lives. Are we making a plan to encourage one another, especially now that the day of the Lord, of his return, is drawing near? Whether he comes to see us or we go to see him, time is running out. That's the reality. Whether we go to see him or he comes to see us, our time is running out. The day for us, for every one of us, the day of the Lord is drawing nearer. I want to, I just want you to consider today about your whole life. I love the way that this guy just had a simple plan. And it was a wise plan. It was a reasonable plan. It was an intelligent plan. But it was a plan that didn't include God. It didn't include the Lord in the plans for his life. And that's really the basic thing for the Christian. James says to the early Christian church, he says, you shouldn't say we're going to go to this place or that place. You should say, if it is God's will, we will go to this place or that place. And that's not just a matter of words. That's a matter of a heart disposition, a heart attitude, or a desire to please God with our lives. I want to finish off with two verses from Romans chapter 8, what's also known as the Great Eight. It is the high point of Paul's letter to the Romans in the New Testament. And he says something that's very interesting. Of all of your time, of all of your treasure, of all of your talent, you will never run short. No matter how much you give of any of these things, you will never be the less for it. No matter how much you give to God, you cannot give him. No matter how much you pour out on him, to him, for him, in honor of him, you will never be poorer as a result. Here's what he writes to the Christians in Rome. He says this. He who did not spare his own son, speaking of God, who gave him up for us all, how will he now also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How will he now also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And Paul is making a really very simple argument. If God didn't spare his own son, the thing of most value to him, if he didn't spare him, and give him and pour him out lavishly upon our lives. Do you think he's going to hold back on the smaller things of life? Do you think you're going to go without in the other areas of your life? He says, you know, you'll never lack so long as you are in God's plan. You'll never lack so long as you're in God's will. You'll never lack so long as you're seeking to put God first and have God at the center point of your life. And look, he says, I love the way Paul makes this argument because he puts the most important thing first, God's own Son, he didn't spare him. He gave him. He gave him up for us, for you and for me, when we didn't deserve it. When we were far away from him, he gave him up for us. He gave him up for us all. No, will he not? Also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Give us everything. Nothing will be spared. I love when Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, and this is my last verse for, the, for today, so please, I'd ask you, tune in just for the last moment or two. Here's what Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, everything belongs to you, he writes to the Christians. Everything belongs to you. Whether it's Paul or Paulus or Peter. And then he goes on to say, whether it's the world or life and death or the present and the future, everything 
belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. He said everything belongs to you. So you can never be without. That's God's great plan. That everything will belong to us. We will literally inherit the earth. And he said it's all there for you. It's all there to serve you. It's all there for the purpose of growing you. And of blessing you. And it all belongs to you. So you needn't worry about the immediate concerns of this life. Or the immediate concerns of the next moment. Or the next day. Or the hassles. Because it all belongs to you. He's lavished Jesus on you. And now he's going to lavish all the other stuff on you as well. And this isn't about stuff. He doesn't say and all the other stuff. He says all things. He says the world, life and death, the present, the future, everything, everything belongs to you. He says to everything belongs to you. I mean, you needn't have a concern or a worry about what political dictators are doing. You needn't worry about what's happening in the world economy. You needn't worry about what's happening in your country. With respect, you don't even need to worry about what's happening with the climate. You don't need to worry about it. You may want to take action, but you don't need to worry about it because everything belongs to you. Because it belongs to Christ. And he belongs to God. And you belong to him. You are his possession. No, Paul says, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. We were set free and bought with a price. We are no longer our own. And so we are in God's care, in God's family, sharing part of his family. What it means to be a Christian means to be part of that family. I want to pray in just a second because I want to look again at our lives. I want to ask you very simply, have you got a simple plan? Have you got a simple plan and are you willing to make a simple plan to add, to include, to give to God of your time, your talent, and your treasure? Especially so, as you're not going to get any more time than there's allotted for you. And you will run out of it at some stage along the line. But can I just remind you that no matter what you give, no matter what you give, you are never less off when you give to the Lord. Amen. You're never poorer when you give to God. Again, to remind you of what St. Augustine said. He who is God has everything. He who is everything but God has nothing. Paul uses the example of Jesus coming to redeem us. It's to that that I want to just sing. I'm just going to sing a verse or two. And then I'm going to pray. Jesus, who endured my pain,